So Waylon Yutani replaced their science officer with Ash, but their route was basically set to send them close enough to this derelict ship to cause them to go on it. Waylon Yutani knew what was going on. Sure. The crew of the Nostromo did not. Right, but my point is that uh, there was like that underlying plot that, that was happening under the surface. Mm -hmm. Or the analogy, I don't know how that carries it does. Uh, no, I mean, I think the way that I would, I would approach this mm -hmm. is you're the project team, you're the crew of the Nostromo. Mm -hmm. So, Wayland Yutani might know all kinds of shit you don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is your leadership of your company, or maybe this is the client. Maybe the client knows all kinds of stuff you don't know. Yeah. But like, regardless, you gotta ask those questions. Because somebody should have been asking Wayland Yutani some questions, you yeah. know? <laughs> Get him on the phone. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. This is episode 67, and we are working to ensure that your estimation process is not like the Nostromo. It's true. We're going to keep you from getting like a chest burster. Face hugger. Going on. Yeah. yeah. So if you're not enough of a nerd to know the reference just from that... Uh, we are going to be talking about how bidding on a construction project is related to the movie Alien. You might think it's a reach now, but just wait till we're done. Just wait. It's going to make perfect sense. That's right. So before we get going, we should do a little housekeeping. So first of all, uh, this episode is audio only. We've mm -hmm. been doing the video episodes lately, and that's been a lot of fun. And we're just kind of tuckered today, but we, we wanted to get tired. this cut. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, we, we traveled this week for yeah. the first time since COVID, which... Anyone who has had to travel in the COVID era is a little exhausting. And we have, uh, it feels like a dozen irons in the fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, it felt like we just cozy in and cut a nice, cool audio podcast. Yeah. So we wanted something uh, more of the kind of old school Jason and Mary kind of silly things to riff on kind of podcast uh, in the spirit of the heist episode or the zombie episode. Yeah. So if you miss those, go ahead and check those out. We compare how construction projects can look like a heist or like a, a bank robbery. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and also we have our keep the, the zombies out of your house episode yep. as well. Which is another one that was really about planning. And this one is kind of about planning too. A little bit. But we're it's, talking it's about a little bit more about risk analysis. It's true. So maybe if you've seen the movie Alien, it's clear to you why risk analysis and Alien go hand in hand. Yeah, what kind of risks could they have prevented? The whole time you're sitting in your seat, you're saying, no, don't do that. Don't, don't go outside. What are you thinking? Well, and space is really one big, giant risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything about space yeah. is a risk. So we're talking about estimation and kind of starting at the bidding process. And uh, Mary was trying to convince me that actually this is a lot like the movie Alien, and I think she's crazy. So we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Well, actually, first I was trying to convince him we should do the episode on Event Horizon, which was <laughs> a really terrible movie. So Lawrence Fishburne? Yes, he was in that. It was a, his worst movie ever. It was the worst movie ever that I saw. Uh, I think it was everyone's worst movie. It's true. I saw in the movie theater and just came out and just thought it was the dumbest movie of all time because ultimately in Event Horizon, just briefly. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Uh, if you're going to see the movie, cover your ears. Yeah, shut it off. Like from 1993 or whatever it was. No, in that movie, a space goes off or a spaceship goes off and gets lost. 
and then comes back and the crew gets into it because they're going to try to recover the ship. And basically the ship just attacks them throughout the movie. And then it turns out that the ship has gone to hell and back and become <laughs> evil. It's an evil ship. It's now. evil. It can, it's sentient and Fighting evil Lawrence now. Fishburne. Yeah. And I think it kills everybody. Well. So we decided that was not a good analogy for bidding. And instead, I convinced Jason that we're going to do the episode and say it's more like the movie Alien. Yeah. Well, and we all love the movie Alien. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. So when we are bidding for a construction project, and I think bidding is really relevant right now mm-hmm. because with everything going on, we're all worried about whether there's going to be work down the road. You know, yeah. all the work that was in the pipeline is good and fine, but... Is there going to be more work when that's done? And and it kind of puts us into a little bit of a panic mode. So usually people get panicky around bidding in general, but especially right now when there's uncertainty and we're not sure how many more projects are coming down the pipeline and also what are the unforeseen circumstances in the projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of risk that, that we're thinking about. Absolutely. Nobody has ever necessarily spent a lot of time bidding projects during a global pandemic. So the first part of bidding has to do with what is the work. And this is a little bit like uh, when when the Nostromo is headed out into space and mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to understand what their job is. Yeah. So as far as they all knew, they're just heading out to go pick up some cargo. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's easy. They're like space truckers. All they got to do is just go get the cargo. Right. So if you don't remember the movie, they head out to go get their cargo and do their job. And they're all in suspended animation. They're all like sleeping. And then- It's it's like pseudo cryo. Yeah. And then they go by a derelict ship and there's a distress signal. And the distress signal causes the ship to wake everybody up Mm -hmm. so that they can go save whoever it is that's in trouble on the planet. So everybody wakes up. I don't even think it's a planet. I think it's It's just a a ship. It's a planetoid. Is it a planetoid? Yes. It's, it's so not it's a, just a ship that's just floating? No, it's like a small moony, like a moon. That's moony right. looking planet. It is like a moon that the yep. ship like crashed on. And so then there's like this, this beacon that's going off and it wakes everybody up because that's the ship's job. And so everybody wakes up and this is a little bit like the RFP where the RFP comes across <laughs> and... And we're all sleeping at our desks. Right. And we're like, oh, the phone rings or we get an email and uh, 15 notifications about that. And it says, hey, there's a bid due. And so what do you do? You kind of hop up and you just do what they did and run out the ship. Yeah. So they get, they hear this distress beacon and they do. They just suit up and go running into the ship to see what they're going to see. And I think it's a little bit of how many folks will approach bidding where we have so many places where we should be checking and looking for information and verifying before we just rush into this bidding process. So what do we need other than the RFP before we go running off and do our bid? Yeah. Well, so in construction, or we were talking about construction, not on the Nostromo. Yeah, right? I would have said distress beacon if I meant the Nostromo. Okay. So, <laughs> of course, drawings, and you don't want to just look at your favorite drawings. You want to look at the drawings that are related to your whole scope of work. Uh, You want to make sure that you read the specifications. If you don't have them, you reach out and find them. Make sure that you you have included those. And when we work with people about drawings and specifications, it's amazing how many people aren't familiar and comfortable with reading specs. Yeah, even if you've been in the industry for 30 years, it's possible that you haven't even gone outside of your own spec section. 
-hmm. and some people haven't read them at all. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to make sure you actually go through that request for proposal document mm -hmm. uh, so that you understand how they want it presented. You mean like pay close attention to the distress beacon? Because maybe <laughs> if someone listened for a minute, like... Ripley did, mm -hmm. then they discover, oh, wait, it's not a distress beacon. It's actually a warning. Get out, get out. <laughs> but it's too late. There's already a face hugger on your face now. Well, and, and so it, this is like 100 years in the future. And so we have the internet. We have Wikipedia. I mean, in like the 90s, we had at least like a, a encyclopedia on a disc. Wouldn't you think they'd have some information about this planetoid or what it is that they're getting into? Right? Like information about the moon, mm -hmm. information about the ship, plans mm -hmm. for the ship. Come on. What were the sh what was the ship's mission? What right. was it doing? Well, and I guess it wasn't from Earth, though. No. And I don't understand still. how it had a distress beacon on it anyway, because it wasn't from Earth. Yeah, but it was just... It was like some ancient alien on there. It was just there. a distress beacon. You know, just guess, some like distress what, There's beacon. just a universal distress beacon, even though like, we don't know any aliens at that point. Maybe. They just happen to use the same distress beacon as we do. Look, I wasn't there. Well, I'm just saying somebody should have paid some attention. So you, know? you want to make sure you hit the drawings. <laughs> you weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> it was, it was 1979. Years, you were there. It was 100 years in the future and 1979 in the present. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I was one. <laughs> so make sure we hit the drawings. Make sure we hit the specs. Make sure we read the RFP and understand what it means. And then make sure we actually go to a job walk, uh, request information, take pictures, take video, uh, use the, your, your God-given cell phone <laughs> to make some recordings or some well, notes for later. And even right now, I've been seeing stuff where people are doing like Zoom job walks mm -hmm. if they have to. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think probably we're getting closer and closer to being back to actual job walks now. But yep. I know when things were more locked down. We were doing video job walks. Yeah, well, and I, I think that uh, virtual job walks are okay, but any place where there's high risk or or anything that you're you're uncertain about, mm -hmm. make sure that you're actually incorporating that stuff. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So as you're going through these documents, then it makes sense to build a list mm -hmm. of every single thing that you find that is a conflict that any of those two documents don't match up in any way, anything that's unclear, you should have this list that is every little tiny detail that doesn't make sense about the job. And everything that, that you don't understand, everything that you're, you're making sure you include or exclude, make sure that you're, you're qualifying what you mean when you're including it in your proposal. Anything that's missing information of any kind. And people often say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go sit down and figure out all the missing information because then I'm going to not have all this information. And then I'm going to go and harass the people who are putting out the request for proposal. Yeah. And ultimately, they're going to decide I'm a pain and they don't want to work with me. Yeah. Well, so if we're, if we're thinking about the Nostromo... Mm. Uh, do you really just want to step outside of the ship and, and essentially accept whatever it is that's out there? Right. Or do you want to actually take a minute to ask some questions, verify some information, mm -hmm. and make sure that you don't just jump out into something that you don't understand? Right. And could they communicate? It feels like they were like too far away to be able to communicate in any way with Earth. I feel like they had to have did been Did they communicate to. with Earth? I, I don't know that they did. I can't remember now if that was part of the if that was part of the story that they couldn't, but like if they're asking, they need to not just ask Whale and Yutani because the company that sent them out there is shady as all business. <laughs> so uh, there, there are a couple of different categories that we put that information into. Uh, so 
when we're bidding, folks can be a little bit intimidated about, I don't want to be nagging. I don't want to make it difficult for, for the person that I'm asking. If I'm asking Waylon from, from the, uh, Waylon, Utani. mother company, mm-hmm. uh, for some information before I just blindly jump out of the ship, um, I, I want to put these into three different categories and make sure that, that we have them sorted kind of by order of priority. Mm-hmm. So the first one is making sure that you identify what are the low risk items. These are just like clarifications or just little details you want to make sure that you get right. Mm-hmm. Uh, many times you don't even need to confirm them before you get the contract, uh, but there are things that you just want to save for later. So if they don't carry a whole lot of risk and if basically you never got that information, mm-hmm. Uh, you would still, it would still be something you could figure out, then that could sit on that low risk category, things that you don't need clarification on in order to develop a good bid. Mm-hmm. So what's a low risk item for for this analogy? Um, how about whether or not Jones has rabies? Mm. No, because if Jones actually has You're rabies, it's probably cat. bad. Yeah, the cat. That yeah. was the best part of that movie. Yeah. Jones? Maybe, how about Worms? Jones has worms. Yeah, because if Jones had worms, well, I mean, so it's gross. You, you need to deal with it, right? <laughs> like, you need to look into that. But it, mm. it's not like a make it or break it kind of deal they either They could probably way. figure it out. You think yeah. they could, like, give Jones, like, whiskey or something? Maybe fleas. No, you, our parents would give him turpentine, right? I know, but, like, there's no tur- turpentine on the ship. So How maybe, do you know? Because why know would you need turpentine on a spaceship? I don't know. Maybe they do painting. On the spaceship? Maybe they're painting in truckers. A, in a closed circulation system? You're just going to breathe those fumes turpentine? everywhere? <laughs> turpentine and paint fumes? Anyway. Sounds like a party. I so. think they should give Jones whiskey and that'll take care of his worms, I <laughs> so, bet. So the second category of the things that we need to think about when we're putting our RFP together is uh, what are the things that we need to capture in the bid that, that we need to memorialize, we need to make sure that we actually button down uh, to to protect ourselves from risk. So this is missing information, mm-hmm. but it's not a showstopper to the point that we need to bother Wayland Yutani. We don't need to bother the client mm-hmm. about it or the potential client, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, all, but we do need to make sure we put something in the bid in order to button that thing down. So this is just ensuring that we've covered all our bases. These would be nice to know. Mm-hmm. These would be good to know, but they're not essential for actually turning that that bid out. If there was a project mm-hmm. and it said lights, but it doesn't tell you what the lights are mm-hmm. or where they come from or what kind they are. Mm-hmm. You know that there are lights there. Mm-hmm. So how do you price those? So right. either you could say, I can't proceed. Mm-hmm. I'm locked up until someone tells me what lights are. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't stop with that. It's this and that and that and that and that and that mm-hmm. and that. And I can't proceed at all. And I can't give you any information until everything is 100%. Right. Therefore, your response to keep things moving is you say, uh, I have install only of lights. Mm -hmm. I know what shape they are. I know roughly what Mm -hmm. they're going to be, but we don't know what they are. No one told me. So do they cost $1,000 or do they cost $50? Right. So this is is like when the distress beacon went off Mm -hmm. and the distress beacon says in it, life form needs help. Mm -hmm. Life form needs food source. And they should have stopped and said, we're only going down there if it's a life form that doesn't primarily eat humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. We're going to make an exclusion. Mm-hmm. We're going to exclude our help right. of life forms that primarily eat humans and need food. Is it a predator? Right. Right. Are we the prey? 
because that's an important exclusion to make at that point, right? So, so then basically if there are lights mm -hmm. and we can either say we're going to exclude the lights altogether. We don't know mm -hmm. the, because there are enough different ways to install different kinds of lights that mm -hmm. we really can't put our finger right. on. So, it. so if, we'll just so exclude the lights. These are like 10,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. If they could could be ten thousand pounds, so we have any reason to believe that, mm -hmm. and you'd be like, "Nope, I don't know." Right. right? Or if it might be fluorescent lights, but it also might be those crazy mm -hmm. uh, low voltage yeah. ones that'll do whatever color you want, mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily know how to install those, so we right. could just exclude it. Yeah. Or we could like, if there's programming for it, if there's training for it, or we could have connection only, or mm -hmm. we're basically picking the level of risk that we're comfortable accepting. Right. So then we could say, we'll install the lights, mm -hmm. but we aren't going to supply them. Yeah. And that way, if they want some crazy expensive thing, we don't lose the money for that. Mm -hmm. Or you could say allowance of uh, $200 per fixture. Allowance of whatever it is we expect kind of, mm -hmm. well, whatever it is we expect lights to cost. So then if we're going to do that, then you'd said there are a couple of ways we could figure that, right? Like we could either give an allowance for the cheapest lights mm -hmm. and that lets our bid come in low. Yeah. So you could exclude it altogether mm -hmm. and just say not it because we don't know what it is. So please right. note we haven't included any money for this. Right. Uh, you could assume that it's its owner supply. Mm -hmm. You'd say uh, we assume that it is this fixture. Right. So you kind mm -hmm. of pick this fixture or, or have a placeholder for what it is, what is the item. Mm -hmm. We assume it's this. It, it costs this and it is a responsible option. Uh, it's a cost effective option, but we no one has specified it. Mm -hmm. So we're just saying. So we're going to just specify it for them? We're, we're going to say this type of fixture or equal mm -hmm. for this money, right? Mm -hmm. To be confirmed. Right. And we're. we're putting a dollar number for it, for something that we know that's doable, for something that we know is serviceable. Right. Right. It's, it's viable mm -hmm. um, and meets code and, and mm -hmm. what have you. But it's not, you, you can't assume, you would never assume that it's the most expensive item. Right. Because then that's going to inflate your bid. Right. And that's not necessarily what the other guy did. Right. So you want to have the, the lowest cost responsible item. And then you have well, to confirm so then, that. What about if there's an option that's really, really cheap, that's mm -hmm. not a great product, mm -hmm. and then there's an option that's like middle of the road, would you assume the really, really cheap one in order to have the better bid? Or no. would you rather assume the moderate thing? I, I, would I would choose and I would include and specify, point out in my proposal, that I'm including the least expensive good product. Right. So this is like the Chevy. Right. right. This is like the Hyundai. This is right. this is the product that that has no bells and whistles, mm -hmm. but it will do the job. Right. Right. I'm not picking like the the car that no one has heard of before. Right. I'm I'm picking the thing that I would put my grandma in mm -hmm. and be okay with it. Right. So you want to make sure that if you're making a choice, mm -hmm. that you're making a good recommendation, kind of as the expert. Yeah. In this thing, I'm yeah. telling you that you wouldn't want to put something there that you wouldn't want to put your but, name on. But again, this functions just really as a placeholder. Right. Where you're just saying this is this is something that would work. It doesn't require jamming up the bidding process. Mm -hmm. So we'll need to confirm that at some point. But this is what I'm carrying in my proposal. Right. Right. Uh, and 
if you carry the most expensive option in your proposal around an item that's not specified, mm-hmm. then that can knock you out of the bid. Right. Uh, because it just looks like it's too high. Right. That makes sense. But you want to make sure that you're clear about that assumption, which we're going to be talking about assumptions mm-hmm. in a little bit here when we yeah. get into risks. Yeah. But you want to make sure that it's clear what you were thinking there. Yeah. And it also is a helpful reminder for you because it could be months or years by the time you look back at it. So you can remember what exactly you were bidding. Yeah. So these are our notes for yourself so that uh, you can remember what you thought at the time. And then, so the first category is that these are the doesn't matters. These are the low risk. We don't need to figure this out. We can proceed with a responsible bid without this information. Yeah. And then the second is capture it and bid using the lowest responsible option, but be sure to clarify what's being included. So if I were making this in an Excel sheet, Mm -hmm. I would make a list first of just Mm -hmm. every single thing. And then I would go through and, you know, you could add that category, but also I would say, all of those uh, don't matter low risk items would be green because yeah. just you can blow right past those. Yeah. They don't, they're, they're good to know and they're good to hang on to for later, mm-hmm. but you can blow right through. And then all of the ones that we just talked about, these ones that we want to capture in our bid, we don't need more information. Mm-hmm. We just want to capture our lack of information in the bid. Those would be yellow. Yeah. Proceed with caution. Sure. Make sure we've captured them somewhere mm-hmm. in the final bid before we send it off. Yeah. And then the third category these are the red light items. So, so these are the items that are the showstoppers. Mm-hmm. These are the items that you cannot move forward without. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're doing a uh, major mechanical unit replacement mm-hmm. and they haven't selected or given any direction on what type of system they plan to use. Mm-hmm. So when that is material to the work, that is basically the biggest piece of the work, it would be silly to go forward in any direction before you confirm what type of of machine that is the most of the work Mm -hmm. we're going to be using. So like in in Alien then, this is where whenever Weyland-Yutani, right before they left on their trip, Mm -hmm. they took their science officer away and gave them what they didn't at that time know was an android instead. (laughs) And that android was the source of pretty much like all their trouble because he was programmed to get the alien back to Weyland-Yutani at all costs. Right. They should have been asking the question about why that switch got made. And, and don't get on the ship at that point until they understand They that. should not have gotten on the ship with Ash until they knew, because he was not... He was kind of a jerk anyway. He was kind of, well, yeah, but I mean, a lot of science officers are going to be kind of a jerk. Their original one was probably kind of a jerk too. But the point is, they should have known more about Ash and what he was all about mm-hmm. before they got on the ship with him. Because if they had not gotten on the ship until they knew what Ash's deal was, then maybe none of that would have even happened to them. I don't believe that. It was faded. I guess. I mean... So it's important that that you understand the bid, understand what it is that you're sending in. Understand the work. So... We feel like we understand the work. We look at the linear feet and we look at the stuff and we throw some numbers down and then we say, I understand the work, but we really need to make sure we are really analyzing what the work is that we're there to do. Mm -hmm. So that is part one of getting a bid ready. Part two is... Understanding the risk. Understanding the risk. So if you don't understand the risk of carrying out the work or, or the risk that the bid is carrying for you, then you should really question whether or not you're in the right position. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Because estimation is estimating risk. 
Mm-hmm. So the place that you want to start in this process is start with your questions list. So you have your, your green, yellow, red list of all of these items that you need to confirm. And that's kind of the, the place where you, you begin. So looking at that list, you want to ask some questions of the things on that list, but also of everything else that you know about this job, even if it's not something that got put on this kind of missing information list you've generated. So for each one of these items, and it's going to be less so for the green and more so for the red, you want to be thinking about where could these things go wrong? Where could these cost money or time or space trucker lives? Yeah. Anything on the project. What could go wrong? Mm -hmm. If we don't think where about are the face huggers, you know, <laughs> where, are, where are the chest bursters? Where are they? High? Well, the chest bursters are inside the face huggers. Well, for a minute. I mean, that's until where they they're start. in you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, isn't that like the whole construction story? Oh, it is. <laughs> it's too late. Don't don't let your face huggers become chest bursters. You <laughs> it's know? true. It's true. So we should be thinking about where could things go wrong. That could cost money or time. And this is especially important if you have self-performed scopes of work, because in many cases, your self-performed production rates can be your biggest risk. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand how effective or or what your output is supposed to be per Mm -hmm. uh, labor hour, it's really important that you take the time to understand it. And you can see different systems come into play where you don't actually know what the production rate is going to be. So you're just kind of guessing. Doesn't something go wrong? At the end of Alien 1, between Alien 1 and Alien 2, something goes wrong on the ship that means she gets back and it's like 200 years in the future or something. Right? And like everybody she ever knew is dead. No, I think that's between 2 and 3. Is it? No, because between 2 and 3, I didn't think she goes home. No, so she gets... 2, she's out on the colony. Yeah, but she gets Newt. Remember Newt? Yeah. And gets in the pod, and then she goes and travels. Yes. And then, and then wakes Newt's up and dead Newt's when dead. she wakes up on the prison planet. But I planet. thought that was like 200 years. No, because I think she gets home to Earth, and mm-hmm. she's like home, and they're like taking care of her. And they're like, it's okay, everything's going to be all right, but like all your family and everybody's dead because it's 200 years later. But it's it's okay, right? And then the thing happens on the, on the colony planet, and then that's when they make the decision that they're going to... That she's, I don't know how she ends up going because she was not that right person. 57 years pass between mm-hmm. the first and second movies yeah. because something goes wrong on the ship and she drifts in space. So how many times have you thought a project was going to end? <laughs> and then 57 years later, yep. or so it feels, it feels like 57 you're still years. on the project because yep. stuff went wrong. Yep. So this is about trying to identify what could cause that to happen. Yeah. So what could cause the project to spin out of control? Mm-hmm. Making sure that you keep tabs on the clients to make mm-hmm. sure that that you don't wind up in a bad position. Mm-hmm. If someone's going to be outside in the airlock or if some project's going to go on with for 57 years, mm-hmm. you should be profiting at the same rate that yep. you had planned to on day one. And the more you can anticipate what things might happen that would mm-hmm. make the project last for 57 years. Yeah. or and, and how to protect yourself. Between two and three, mm-hmm. a fire breaks out and... Next thing you know, Newt's dead. Mm-hmm. Jones is dead. Yeah. Newt's dead. People, Everybody's dead. Your people are fired or they quit. <laughs> they get tired of the, the project and they're they're gone. Is Newt like a project manager? I feel like Newt's like a project engineer. I don't know. Yeah, I think I've probably known a few project yeah. engineers who remind me of spunky. Newt. She's running around in the tunnels, you know? Right? <laughs> she survived on her own. Right. 
So you want to make sure. I you know a lot of PEs who survive on their own. Yeah. Well, and you want to make sure that you understand what could affect Newt's production rate. Right. right? And then whenever you find it, then the way you handle that risk is you like go right up to its face and you're like, stay away from her, you bitch. <laughs> right. Yeah, like that. <laughs> but you want to make sure that that uh, for site conditions. You understand how many days you need to do your work, mm -hmm. how long it should include for each scope of work, and what is the relationship between the scopes of work. So mm -hmm. uh, is it going to be five days consecutive? Is it going to be uh, some concurrent durations where you have over overlapping durations? Mm -hmm. So if you bid it based on an order of doing the work mm -hmm. or con specific conditions that you expect to be that way on having, site. Having open access. I know window contractors will oftentimes say we need 15 foot clear mm -hmm. from the face of the window. If we don't have that, we don't show up, mm -hmm. right? You didn't meet our requirements. Therefore, mm -hmm. that doesn't count against our days. So people often assume that the site conditions will just be ideal site conditions. They and it'll be pretty fun. much are never ideal site and conditions. They never are. Mm -hmm. And then we get impacted and we aren't protected. Mm -hmm. So if in our estimate, we figure out exactly what those site conditions look like that are going to make it possible for us to meet this cost and meet whatever schedule we may be agreeing to, mm -hmm. Then we put those assumptions in the estimate yeah. so that they'll make it over to the contract if we get the work. And that way, if that doesn't happen, we have that to lean back on. Mm -hmm. So we want to think, too, about long lead items, things that are outside of our control. Uh, we want to think about anything that's unstable. So like mm -hmm. unstable soil or mm -hmm. in, in the context of construction, we're talking about <laughs> unstable soil, unstable suppliers. Right. Mm -hmm. But but. Alien context or thinking about unstable soil. So is this like when they're like walking onto the ship oh, where yeah. the eggs are and yeah. the blue mist starts going everywhere? Right. The blue mist, that's a warning sign. That's instability. That's when you say my not friend. It, right? Not it. <laughs> excluded. Right? If they could just say, nope, I have we no part of this. All blue mist, yeah. creepy alien eggs. <laughs> we excluded. Ex exclude face huggers. <laughs> right? And if that's all they had had to do, just put those in there. Uh, See that everything would have been okay if if uh, uh, let Ash get his own face hugged. You they, know they would have been able to say we are never going to take our helmets off mm -hmm. inside of the ship. I didn't take their helmet off. No. Oh, you mean inside of the no? It ate right through his helmet. Did it eat through his helmet? Yeah, he had his helmet on, and it jumped on his helmet, and then. When they got him onto the ship, yep. they looked, and it was like it had melted his helmet. We'll, we'll have helmets that aren't eatable. I don't know that edible. uneatable helmets is a thing. But it I was mean, in the agreement, so. I know, but like the alien, when they, the face hugger. No, I understand. Whenever they cut it. I understand what happened. I know, but I'm saying later when they cut it, it its blood melted like the the floor of the ship. Excluded. Like the deck of the ship. Excluded. I well, excluded it. <laughs> so if you excluded it, what does that do? Because there it is. Oh, it's still ate they through didn't your unheatable it. helmet. They didn't exclude it. It's the problem. Fair. Right? Fair. That's the problem. I'll allow it. Right. So <laughs> then we want to make sure that, that we're blocking off, uh, putting risks inside of airlocks mm -hmm. as, as best we can. And so we're kind of... Uh, Identifying what are the things that, that we're not sure of. And ideally, you'll not only put the risk inside the airlock, but you'll mount a grappling gun right oh, yeah. next to it. Yeah. So that in case it gets back in mm -hmm. like the alien does at the end of the movie, yeah. you can shoot it with a grappling hook and 
get it out there even further. So it's important in bidding that we are using allowances uh, in in when you use them in in a very special way. It allows you to kind of portion off the risk to one sector of the ship, mm-hmm. and in the case that that uh, later on down the road there was some fight or dust up around that allowance mm-hmm. because it's portioned off in that section of the ship, you could easily just cut it off and say, that's cool. We'll do the base scope of work, mm-hmm. but this one piece that's just on the other side of this airlock, we're just going to remove that piece. We're just going to shoot it out the airlock. Well, we're just going to <laughs> let go of that piece of the ship. Right. Right. And we're okay because the only thing that we lost was that little piece of the ship. Right. Right. And so that's the way that we're kind of sectioning off our risk by using allowances, putting hard numbers to things that we are certain about. Mm-hmm. But then for all of those little pieces that we're not certain about, we're identifying those specific allowances for those unknowns. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? How do we cordon those things off? Mm-hmm. So if there's something inside of a project that's that's halfway defined or partially defined, mm-hmm. uh, where we say, here's a, a light fixture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that it's light fixture shaped, mm-hmm. but nowhere uh, is it identified exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the ability to actually get the definition before we put the bid in, we could just say, uh, assumes light fixture cost of $200. It's an allowance, right? right? Per fixture. Mm -hmm. And so if the owner or or customer comes back and says, I want a fixture that's $1,000, that's cool. We're just going to take that allowance from 200 to 1,000 per Mm -hmm. fixture. And if they're okay with that, then we'll go ahead and move along. So this is basically like a pre-approved change order. It, it is. Or if they said, you know what? Uh, we're going to supply the fixture ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then you just delete that that money that you haven't actually spent. Mm-hmm. You still get your management cost. You still get your, your uh, coordination cost. Mm-hmm. You still get your install cost. So here's a question. If you have in your bid, assumes $200 for light fixtures, mm-hmm. and then they say, actually, we're going to supply our own. Yep. And they supply their own $15,000 light fixture mm-hmm. for you to install mm-hmm. that takes six times as long to install. Yep. Then does that justify, because basically you can say the amount of time I bid was the amount of time it takes to install this $200 light yes. fixture I told you. Yes. And so now you can actually justify the, the extra time to install these more complicated fixtures. Sure. So the, the majority of fixtures... In, in this specific example, sure. the majority of fixtures takes X hours per fixture. Right. Right. For most normal fixtures, if it's a two by four or mm-hmm. something like that, uh, for most normal fixtures, it has a number attached to it of hours. Right. In the case that you materially leave that fixture type mm-hmm. and you want to hang uh, a light fixture in the shape and weight of a car mm-hmm. at each location, yeah, the implications are going to be different. Right. But basically that that allowance not only protects you on the cost of the light fixture, but it can actually protect you on the install as well because it it sets the assumption. Yep. Right. If you just say, yeah, I'll install any light fixture you want, then it's harder to justify that it's going to cost more. Whereas when you put that allowance mm-hmm. in, you you're setting the expectation. Yep. And and then you can evaluate it against that type of item. Well, and I think, okay, so here's, here's our, here's our alien link for this is that the chest burster, it jumps out of the guy's chest and it zips off into like the air vents or whatever. Right. And it's gone. 
And then they break up into groups and they're wandering the ship looking for this thing. Mm -hmm. And at some point they send one of the first guy to die. They send him off by himself to go looking. That was a good idea. Well, right. But here's why it wasn't a bad idea. Uh Because they had no idea that it was going to grow from like a little eight inch thing to an eight foot foot. tall thing in the space of one day. Right. Right. And so this is what happens when we go, oh, we're just going to send somebody out after that eight inch thing. And then it turns out it's eight feet tall with dripping fangs and is nasty (laughs) and scary. Right. And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the allowance says we're only going to go chasing after eight inch tall things. The second that it changes from an eight inch tall thing. Then we need to reflect that change in our agreement. Yeah. So if you're going to send us hunting the halls after an eight foot tall thing, mm-hmm. you're going to give us some different gear. Well, and it, it more than one flamethrower, you know. <laughs> well, and it, it's also important that we're thinking about what our assumptions are when when we put the bid together. So it's related to you know how how hard are we going to go chase after these things, or what are we chasing after? Um, <laughs> right. So uh, often did we chase really hard after a bid, oh, and yeah. then only realize after we caught it that it was an eight foot tall monster, dripping thing yeah, monster, z- xenomorph, uh, <laughs> xenomorph. But things like things are really important to include, also uh, along the lines of how do you intend to approach the work. So for for painting, that's a place where we spend a bit of time. We assume uh, that we're going to brush and roll or we assume that we're going to spray, or we assume that we're going to paint before the ceiling goes in. Uh, any, any of those assumptions, we need to make sure that we include inside of that proposal so that the second that it changes, we can hold that ground and make sure that we're protected against uh, losing control of the xenomorph. Right. Right. Makes sense. Uh, and then the last piece is exclusions. So make sure that you identify which exclusions are in play. Make sure that, that you're, you're telling them what you're not going to do, not just for the purpose of being a jerk, mm-hmm. but for providing clarity about what is in your number and what's out. Mm-hmm. And um, before you, you kind of give everything that last touch, before you want to send it in, make sure that all of your, your drawing and document dates are included mm-hmm. inside of your proposal. Double check which drawing set and spec set you bid off of mm-hmm. to make sure that that all of those dates are locked in and memorialized. Because if you're working from the drawing set that mm-hmm. included the six inch yep. xenomorph and it is now an eight foot tall xenomorph, yep. that's going to be a problem. It's a big deal. And then the, the last piece that we want to talk about is actually just submitting the bid. Uh, this is something that a lot of people will skip or kind of get worked up about. Uh, there will typically be a bid due date and many bidders see this as as a hard and fast date that you can't push, you can't move it. It's true on public projects that that many times there is a technical limitation where they have to decline offers. Mm -hmm. But even sometimes on public projects, if they don't get enough numbers in, then they will still accept your number. Right. So what are some Mm -hmm. things you can do if to, what are what can you bring to the table if there's a bid due date and you just found out about the thing and the bid due date is tomorrow? Yeah. So do not just put something together that you haven't looked at and get it in. Mm-hmm. I think that this is like hearing that beacon and you just panic and mm-hmm. run down to the planet unprepared. If they would have just given Ripley a minute, she could have figured out it was a warning. <laughs> right? <laughs> so do not do that uh, no matter what. 
make sure that if if you can't get the bid in on time, then it's a good practice to reach out to the person who sent it to you on the phone or in person if you can, uh, and just verify, hey, is it okay if I get this to you in two more days? Or is it okay if I get this to you next week? Well, but I think but whatever, whatever follow-up date you give, be sure yeah. that you actually can hit that date. That's what I was going to say. Try to get your head around how long it's going to take mm-hmm. and do not miss that date. Yeah. And also don't call them and just say, can I get it to you later? Yes. Can I get it to you sometime next week? Mm-hmm. You should tell them when you intend to have it to them and mm-hmm. get it to them then. If I can't get this to you, until one week from today, is that okay? Would you still accept it? And many times, even if it's been a week or two or three after the bid due date, Mm -hmm. if your number comes in and it looks sharp and smart and well put together, there's still a chance that they could award it to you. Yep, absolutely. Right. Uh, And I I have seen the case before Mm -hmm. where all the bids that come in are not really bids that you feel great about. And if Another one came in even after the fact that you felt really good about it would make it really easy to say, you know what, I'm just going to go with this guy. That's right. Or gal. Or gal. Uh, and make sure when when you're kind of getting that clarification, ask them, are there specific scopes of work, specific pieces that are more important than others? So can I break this out? Let's say you know, sometimes when you're estimating, it's really tough to get some of the fidgety numbers together. Mm-hmm. but bigger sections, bigger dollars, you're actually better at getting turned out faster. Mm-hmm. So are, would that be of value to you or not? Mm-hmm. So if I can get tomorrow, I can get you these scopes. Yeah. And then these other two scopes, I'll have those to you by Tuesday. Yeah. And I've seen time after time where uh, people hesitate to send in $5 million bids because there's $50,000 outstanding that they don't have nailed down. They can't quite nail down. And then they don't get the project. Um, And and then we talk about rough orders of magnitude. So these are just rough ballpark numbers uh, that you could put together quickly for the project. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the ability to sit down and do a proper takeoff, but you do have the ability to put together some rough numbers that just act as a placeholder figure, Touch base with the people who are requesting those and figure out, is this of value to you or not? Do you have interest in seeing what these rough numbers look like? So even if Whalen Yutani wasn't going to like come clean, that <laughs> what they really wanted was an alien and they didn't really care if the whole crew died, yeah. like probably nothing's going to make them tell. But that would that, that would have right? been helpful well, to know. But what we could have asked is, is Ash an android? Hmm. Or yes or no. Just roughly. What do you think? Because if we know he is an android, now we know that they put this really expensive piece of equipment on our ship. For some and it's reason. it's got some purpose. And we don't know what, but it's not on a mining mission. That's right. So, you know, it's that's a rough order of magnitude kind of answer, you yeah. know. Is Whalen yutani a good guy? Well, I mean, I think everybody knows the answer to that. Well, roughly, you know. No. I don't think anybody really thought Whalen yutani was a good guy at any point. Although, I mean, Bishop... Oh, yeah, he was. I mean, Bishop, and he was, like, made by Whalen yutani and yeah. he was, like, pretty much the best, like, ever. Best android ever. Best, I mean, just the best yeah. ever, you know? So, with those... Bishop. Bishop. With those Bishop. With those ROMs, you want to make sure that you uh, include assumptions. So, if you're putting this rough dollar number together, make sure, be sure, be doubly sure that you're communicating everything that you reasonably can about what you're assuming about that number, 
what's included, what's not. It doesn't have to be incredibly detailed, but you want to make sure that you're capturing uh, where this is a, an install only number, right? Right. This is a supply only number. So you're like, this is an Android for evil purposes, but we're not going to tell you whether or not it's trying to get a xenomorph. Yeah. You just want to know roughly what it's about. It's roughly that it's roughly, an Android. Yes. But you want to know what they're thinking. Yeah. Right. And that if you could know that Wailing Yutani is an evil overlord mm-hmm. who's trying to bring xenomorphs to the galaxy so he can make war machines or what Dang, have you. It's not he. Whatever. It wasn't he for a long time. You don't know. Maybe. No, maybe. I mean, it was he in like Prometheus, which didn't come out until way later. And nobody really liked that movie. Anyway. I liked it. I know, but nobody did in the sense that like it was not like everybody was like, nah, it's not part of canon. Uh, well, <laughs> whatever. I liked it too. I'm not bidding on this. I'm <laughs> not bidding on what? On on my uh, assumptions mm-hmm. about the Alien franchise? Yeah. No, my point was if <laughs> you actually understood what, what Whaling Yutani's assumptions were, mm-hmm. you could have a pretty darn good picture of how to proceed in that story. Do you think like maybe Whaling Yutani is like what Amazon turns into? Uh, you mean the Amazon of today or like the Amazon in 20 years when they all own us? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying like Amazon of today eventually gets bought by Wayland yutani a guy. I don't think, I think Wayland yutani is actually two names, but speaking you know what of, I'm getting at. speaking of this episode brought to you by <laughs> Amazon credit cards. <laughs> brought to you by Amazon Wayland yutani all restaurants are Whale on Yutani. It's true. <laughs> I'm getting in with a demolition man there reference. There you go. All right. Is that it? I think. Did we do it? I think we did pretty good, and I think Oof. we do have some outtakes because we Oof. we got into some we got into some tricky areas there with our our memories of of Alien. Uncertain footing. That you were wrong about, and I was right oh, about. Oh, there we go. Well, listen to the outtakes. Oh, if you, you want to hear Jason being wrong. You have to dig deep to find a place where I'm wrong. You were wrong. I said... I'm going to edit it. They'll see. They'll see. They'll all see. <laughs> They'll all see. Wait, do we have a jetpack? Oh. Amazon Yutani? <laughs> Amazon Yutani? <laughs> Man, that's a tough one. I bet uh, if Jarrett's listening, he can do it. Do we do a, a graphic for Amazon Yutani? Oh, you know we could. <laughs> I feel very confident that Jarrett has watched Alien. Oh, yeah. And if he hasn't, shame on you, Jarrett. Well, then he better get watching, you know? Uh, You can find us. You can find us at www.whalenutani.com. That's not our web address. We are not at that address. You can find us. At www.thecriticalpathpodcast.com. You can find us at arcadewayfinding.com. You can. Uh, LinkedIn, Jason Sturgeon, Mary Sturgeon, Arcade Wayfinding. You can check out Builder Chat. That's super exciting. Yeah, and you should send a message to LinkedIn and tell them that they should give us a LinkedIn Live account. Yeah, Maybe we have if people some... start messaging them. Maybe they'll like actually listen. Public call to action. Right. You can find us on West Seattle Island. It's true, and we do have guests coming in from time to time, so you can still come in and have a cup of coffee. Just bring your mask. Yeah, watch for it. Watch for it. Mystery era. 2120, Nostromo leaves Earth. 2122. 2179, after drifting in stasis for 57 years, years, she's rescued but returns to LV426 because of the aliens. So then 200 years pass. 
between movies two and three? Uh, you, that's military clone Ripley. That's different. There's a movie missing. She's real Ripley on the prison planet. See, Hadley's Arriving home. Arriving with the military squad. This is two. Yeah, this is two. So and she drifted movie. 57 years yeah. before two. Yeah. Right? But then, between two and three, how much time passes? Because that is military clone. She's not a clone in the beginning of three. It's missing. There's time missing there. It's missing a movie. Because she is a clone in four. And Winona Ryder is in four. Right? That's when she's half Ripley, half alien. So she drifts 57 years, and that's the one where she gets home and like more time has passed than she expected, which that's actually where I'm going with the construction reference. But then, uh, after two, and again, time, I'm sure, passes between two and three, and then a lot of time passes between three and four, because in Alien 3, set right after the events of Aliens, basically their pod gets wrecked and they just kill Newt. They just kill Newt like nothing, which is like rude. Following the events of Aliens, a fire starts above aboard the ship. They are launched in an escape pod. They land. See, no time passes between two and three. Really? Really. Is it three and four? Between three and four. So she, at the end of three, she dies. Right? That's when she dies. She she grabs the alien queen mm-hmm. and jumps into, like, the lava or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Waylon yutani gets their remains out of... See, three was when she shaved her head, and she was on the the, the monk planet, the prison. I, I remember. So no time had actually passed. It was just that everybody got killed from some like, fire or something. Yeah, so shortly after, fire breaks out. Yeah. Although I think it was implied that it had to do with the aliens or something. So then resurrection is 200 years later. Right, because that she's been dead forever, but they clone her, right. and then she's that's the the alien DNA, the is hybrid. In her DNA, and then it's like. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's like half good, half bad. Right. Kind of thing, she's part xenomorph. Yeah, well, but I mean, not even bad, because then they make the case that the xenomorphs aren't really bad. They're right. just like nature. Yeah. But regardless, that's getting... We're, we're, we're deep nerding. This is for the outtakes. <laughs> oh, so the gosh. point is... Man, do I need a coffee? I don't know. Do you? I don't know. I might. Well, do yeah, I probably do. Okay. But I'm recording you while I'm gone. So don't say anything about me. Nothing? While I'm making my coffee. Oh my. Because I'll oh hear my. it. I'll oh my. How am I supposed to do that? You'll, I'll hear it later. When I come back after oh I my. make my coffee, I'm going to listen to this. How am I not? And if I hear you talking shit while I was gone, oh I'm going to know. What? No, I'll, I'll edit that. You don't have editing powers. I, I will. I do. No, like if we're X Men, you don't have editing powers. Uh, okay, we'll see. You don't have posting on the podcast powers. I do. You don't. You only have talking powers. Those are the only powers you have. So much power. I mean, I guess. <laughs> it's so much. <laughs>